Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. All right, so insecurities, what a fun topic. Um, (laughs) And so when I'm talking about insecurities, what I mean are situations like this, right? And so um, this is just a sampling. Clearly, there are many, many more. Uh, these, I, I relate to all of these, some more than others. Um, but really what I am talking about this morning are those situations where you feel uncomfortable. Um, Caleb mentioned public speaking a while back, right? I know there have been people on the worship team who have told me, like, before they get up and lead worship, they actually throw up because they're so nervous, right? And so there are times when we are in situations that make us really uncomfortable. And as I mentioned um, God has put me in situations where I feel really uncomfortable. And I didn't even realize it for a while. Um, about 30 years ago, when I was a new Christian, we had someone come to our church, and she was kind of known for having this prophetic gifting. And so she was like praying for people, and I was lined up. We were all lined up around the room, and she would just kind of go along from person to person. And Um, She gets to me, and I'd never had this done before, so I have all this great hope and expectation. God's going to share this really powerful and encouraging word with me. And so she gets to me, and I'm like, oh. And she prays for a second. She opens her eyes, and she looks at me, and she says, you worry too much about what other people think. And then she moved on. (laughs) And I'm going to be honest with you. I completely discounted that because I'm like, well, that's not true. Um, She must have been having an off day. Uh, And I completely discounted it. I forgot about it. Until about eight years later, I was having a conversation with someone about a difficult situation, and God brought that memory to my mind. And it's the first time I thought about it since then. And God pointed out to me that this situation where you're feeling really uncomfortable, it's not about the situation. It's about how you are responding to that situation. Because I guarantee you, there are things up here, like meeting people we don't know, right? That's one of mine. I really, like David says this all the time after church, say hi to someone you don't know. And I just want to like, where my husband can't wait to talk to you if he doesn't know you, right? Like we go places, we are stranded in the airport. I'm in line, like our flight was canceled. I'm in line trying to get us a new flight. I turned around, he's like talking to people, random strangers in the the airport. I would never do that, right? So there are situations up here that make some of us really uncomfortable, but for some of us, it's also fine, right? This is not the case for all of us. So it's not the situation, but sometimes it's how we respond to the situation, right? And sometimes there's a very, right, normal, appropriate response to being in an uncomfortable situation, but sometimes it goes a little bit deeper than that. And I think that's what God wants to talk to us about today. And not just the, the way we react, but what is the fear behind that reaction, right? So if you look at all of those situations, the common denominator is they all have something to do with how people are responding to us, how they're looking at us, how they're judging us. Like in some cases, you're asking to be judged. You're in a job interview, you're asking to be judged, right? But in some cases, you aren't. But people are doing that anyway, right? And so what is the thing, what is the fear that is being pushed on when you're in that situation? And so for me, 
I'm just going to tell you, one of my biggest fears is that you will realize that I'm just not smart enough. And yours might be that too. Yours might be different, right? But behind all of these fears, there's a question. And it's a question that we are afraid to ask sometimes because we don't really want to know the answer. We're worried that the answer won't be what we want it to be. So God's put me in a couple of situations. So after I had that realization, right, that I, I worry too much about what other people think, I became very aware of how I do that and where I do that and all the spaces that I do that. And then God um, asked me to, well, <clears throat> more than asked me, encouraged me, um, to pursue my master's in theology, which um, I had no intention of doing. And I, I had taken a couple of undergrad classes at SLU. I could take them for free, right? So I was just sitting in on them for fun. And then I was, it was suggested that I maybe get my master's degree. And instantly, my response was, I can't do that. I am not smart enough for that. I'm not that person, right? Because I'd been in class with a couple of these grad students, and I had seen the things that they did, and I had heard the things that they'd said. I'm like, oh my gosh, they know so much stuff, and they're so smart, and they think about things all so deeply. And I am not that. But God recommended this, right? God suggested this through a person. Um, but I knew it was God, and God was encouraging me. And I put up lots of barriers. I had lots of really good reasons why I couldn't do it. And one by one, God eliminated them, kind of miraculously, actually, um, which was really disappointing. <laughs> Until all that was left, the only, the only objection I had left was my fear. My fear that I would be in this program and it would be obvious that I'm just not as smart as all these other people. Because I'd be putting myself out there, right? When you're in class, when you're writing papers, when you're taking tests, you're putting yourself out there to be judged. And I just wasn't quite in a place where I wanted to do that. But I felt like God had removed all my barriers, removed all my obstacles, and I really, I had a choice. I did have a choice. I didn't have to do it. I didn't have to say yes. But I knew it's what God wanted me to do, so I did. And it was hard. It was really awful. <laughs> um, and it sent me running to Jesus time and time and time again. Um, I finished, thankfully. <clears throat> took a long time, but I did. I finished. And a couple years after that, I'm, uh, I'm in my job, right? I'd been working at SLU at this point for like 15 years. And anytime you do something that long, you get pretty good at it, right? You should, right? Um, so I felt pretty comfortable with where I was in my job. I knew what I was doing. I knew the people I worked for. I'd had the same boss the whole time. I felt pretty good about it. I was getting positive feedback from the students that I worked with, from my boss, right? Like, I was in my safe space. In fact, it was the only place in my life where I felt like everything was going the way it should be. The only place. And I was really, really grateful for that. Like, anytime you would ask, like, you know, I, SLU's a Jesuit school, so we do a lot of, like, Jesuit things and examine, which always starts with gratitude. What are you grateful for? And the first thing that would come to mind was, like, oh, my job. Really love my job. Grateful for my job. How, how it matches my skill set um, and how comfortable I am there and how good I am at it and how much I enjoy the students, right? So God decided to disrupt that. Thank you. Um, 
And I was asked to move into a supervisory role, which I said I never wanted to do because I had supervised people once before and I did not like it because I wasn't good at it. Because of that, confrontations, difficult conversations, right? Not my thing. And you got to do that when you're a supervisor. Didn't want to do that. But um, again, I had a choice. I could have said no, but I felt like it was something God wanted me to do. So I said yes. And I lost that sweet comfort spot. And I was, again, faced with, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm good enough. And instead of having students that I was interacting with, getting feedback from, now I'm getting feedback and I'm interacting with people at, who are department chairs and deans, people with titles, people whose opinions mattered more. And when I say that, like in our society, of course they matter more, but when you think about it, you're like, should they? But they did, and it weighed very, very heavy on me. And again, I was running back to Jesus um, time and time again to make sure I was okay. After a couple years of that, I finally kind of get in my groove, finally get a little settled, and what do you know? God decides to up it again and move me into another role which happened about two years ago. Um, and this role was something even more off my grid because it was kind of a new role at the institution. So nobody even knew what my job was. So I sure didn't know. Um, the person who was in it before retired, so she wasn't even at the university anymore, so she couldn't even help me. And my boss at the time was on his way out, had really stopped doing his job like uh, six months before. Um, and was just waiting until the date when he was officially no longer in that role. So he was no help. Um, he was kind of my cheerleader. He's like, yeah, yeah, good job, you know, but he had no idea what I was doing. Like, he really didn't know what I was doing, and neither did I. Like, um, but now, so, so I have even less understanding of what I'm doing. And now, the people I'm in meetings with all have PhDs and lots of letters after their names, and half of them are vice presidents. So if I was worried about what a department chair thought, now I'm completely freaking out um, and completely and utterly out of my realm and so far from my comfort zone um, that I don't even recognize what a comfort zone looks like anymore, right? So, um, so. Perhaps you have been in some situations where you're out of your comfort zone, or maybe you haven't recognized those yet. Maybe that's something that God wants to share with you today, or the fears behind some of those comfort zones. But when we are pushed out of our comfort zone and into these spaces, we do a couple of different things. We tend to fall on one side, we avoid and withdraw. I'm so good at this, so good at avoiding. Limiting experiences. No, I'm not going to apply for that promotion. No, I'm not going to go for this grad uh, program. I don't want to put myself out there, right? I'm not willing to risk the uncertainty of how this is going to go. Um, distractions. Hello, cell phone. Hello, games. Hello, Netflix, right? And our drug of choice. We numb. We numb ourselves to the discomfort, right? which I when I, am, yeah, when I am in this discomfort, I feel it in my body in a different place than I feel other things, right? So David was talking last week about anxiety. When I'm feeling anxious, it's right here. I feel it. 
When I'm feeling uncomfortable and judged, maybe, it's here. It's in my neck and in my shoulders. And this has taken me years to kind of recognize, and I encourage you to pay attention to how you feel, how your body is reacting. God created our body, mind, and spirit. They're all connected. They're not separate things. They all influence each other. And we can learn a lot by noticing those things, right? So I notice, in fact, I noticed it this week. I'm like, oh, my neck and shoulders are tense. I haven't noticed that in a long time. Oh, I'm feeling insecure. It's different than anxiety. Because this, I think, really what I'm doing is like I'm trying to be like a turtle and pull my head back in my shell, right? That's what I'm doing. So we can avoid, right? We try to just avoid it, not deal with it, not confront it, not, um, not be in its presence. Or we do the opposite, and we overcompensate, right? And we prove, we prove to you that, no, I am smart enough. Like, I'm going to make sure that I do super, super well on this, and I'm the best that I can be so that you don't recognize, you know, I'm going to work so hard that you don't recognize that I'm lacking in some way. Or I'm going to make sure you see all the things that I do right so you don't notice the ones I'm not good at, right? I'm going to highlight these things that I do well. Or I'm just going to pretend like I did a lot of this when I got put in this job, went out, bought a whole all new clothes, and I started wearing makeup again. And I started to convince myself that, oh, you're just, you know, fitting in with everybody else. But I knew what I was doing. I knew I didn't belong there. Well, I felt like I didn't belong there, right? I wrote in my journal so many times, I feel like a kid at the grown-ups table. I don't belong here. I don't have a PhD. Everybody else in the room has a PhD. So like even on paper, I don't belong here, right? But maybe if I put makeup on, I'll at least look like I belong here. And maybe I can fake it. If I look like I know what I'm doing, maybe they won't notice that I don't actually know what I'm doing. I'm just going to pretend for a while. But these, so these things will bring you a little bit of relief. But it is temporary and it is fleeting. But it's a false sense of relief because it actually feels like it's doing something, because it is. But it's temporary and it's not lasting. And it doesn't really answer the question that you have, right? That deep-seated question that you're afraid to ask. Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I, am I pretty enough? Am I capable? Right? All these questions that we have. But I think all those questions come back to what we really want to know, which is that we are deeply loved for who we are and not what we do. And when we focus on like working really hard to prove that I am good at this, then we just sidestep this all together and we think, as long as I can do a really good job, I, I can, that results in me being loved. Which is kind of ludicrous, right? But we do it, don't we? But success and love are clearly not the same thing. But somehow we align those things and we work toward them. So we look to the world to answer that question for us. We look to other people. Um, and it's not, they're not going to be able to answer it. Yet we keep trying to get the world to answer that question for us. We keep asking them. And um, when I was preparing this teaching, I had a whole other teaching prepared. 
um, completely different scriptures, like a whole other direction. And Danielle and I met to talk about it, and she's like, oh, no, you can't do that. I'm like, oh. <laughs> that is exactly what happened. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, I'll save this for another time. Um, and I, so I went back through my, um, through my journal from the last couple years to see, okay, God, what have I learned from this really, really difficult spot that I'm in where my insecurities are challenged every day? What have I learned? And I noticed in my journal again and again and again, multi, like every third page, I wrote this down. Listen to your shepherd and not the other sheep. And I had, like, forgotten that. Isn't that crazy? Even though God told me, like, every third day, listen to your shepherd and not the other sheep. Um, Because that's what I was doing. I was looking at all these other sheep. Because here it is. In the kingdom of God, there's one shepherd, and the rest of us are sheep. Everybody in this room, we are all sheep. All these people that I work with, regardless of their credentials, regardless of their titles, from the President of the United States down to a preschooler. We are all sheep. All equal sheep. We are all sheep. Thank you. (laughs) We are all sheep. So, to our passage about sheep. The shepherd calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. I love the song we just sang. Maybe you didn't pick up on it, but we can know Jesus. He knows you. He knows you by name. And he leads us out. He goes on ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. You can know his voice. You can know your shepherd. But there are other voices that we listen to, and that's the thief. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. The enemy that tells you you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not strong enough, you're not whatever That's the enemy, the thief, coming to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, our good shepherd, has come that you might have life and have it to the full. I assure you, avoiding these difficult, uncomfortable situations or overcompensating for them does not bring you life, definitely does not bring you life to the full. It is not truly living. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I highlight the word good here because he doesn't just say, I'm your shepherd. He's a good shepherd. There are bad shepherds out there. He's a good shepherd, and that's important. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now, how well do Jesus and the Father know each other? Pretty darn well, (laughs) right? It's the Trinity. They're all connected. So the shepherd can know his sheep, and the sheep can know the shepherd just as well as Jesus knows the Father. You can know Jesus as well as he knows the Father. And I, the good shepherd, lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus says he's good, And he lays down his life for the sheep, right? If you needed some kind of proof that your shepherd was good, 
There it is. He died for you. He chose to be humiliated and tortured and died for you. That's how good he is. Scripture says, greater love has no man than he that lays down his life for a friend. There's no greater act of love than that. Psalm 23 tells us that the Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in need. He lets me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet water. He restores my soul. That's what I needed every day when I'm in this space where I'm constantly being challenged, I need Jesus to restore my soul. And he wants to do that. He wants you to know, and he wants to take care of you and provide for you, give you that living water that Jesus talked about with the woman at the well. He wants your soul to be at peace. That's the goal, that your soul will be at peace. During that time when I was in the 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 master's program, I think this was around that time. I spent a lot of time just kind of um, pressing into Jesus and asking him, what is my name? What do you call me, right? I know the name my parents give me, but what is the name that you have for me, Jesus? And um, that was a really, really powerful time. And part of my name Um, has the word beloved in it. And it sounds trite and simple, but it was really powerful to me to know that I am beloved. You are all beloved. You are loved in a powerful way. Not the way that anyone in this room or anyone on this earth loves you, but in a whole other level of love. And that love um, brings some really important things. And this was a passage that God gave me during that time. In Deuteronomy, let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him. For he shields them all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. So this is a picture of one of our stained glass windows at the Waymakers. Um, And this is the image that I have when I read this passage, is this lamb that knows its shepherd knows its voice, knows it is well cared for, knows that it is safe, it is protected from enemies, um, knows that it is beloved, and through knowing that, it can rest secure, which I just thought, oh, so beautiful, I didn't even plan this. I'm talking about insecurities, and God gives me a passage that has the word secure in it. Like, it's that love, and knowing that you're loved, knowing in your knower that you're loved, brings that security. And when you have that security, you can rest, like completely rest, completely just melt into your father's shoulders and let him carry you like this lamb on the shoulders of his shepherd. So how does Jesus restore our soul? How did he do it for me? I had to get to know God's voice. You can't follow his voice unless you know it, right? And that just takes time. And it takes, it takes effort. It takes getting to know your shepherd. And that doesn't just happen on Sunday morning. That happens 
all throughout the week um, <clears throat> through activities that you do. For me, it changes day to day, I'll be honest. Um, sometimes it's a daily devotion, sometimes it's worship music, sometimes it's someone praying for me or, you know, talking to another Christian about a situation and them kind of pointing me back to Jesus or highlighting things that Jesus is doing. There are a lot of different ways that God chooses to speak to you and reveal himself to you. This is God's revelation. He wants you to know him. And it's not hard. It just takes some time and a little bit of effort. And then once you know his voice, um, you have to choose that that's the one you're going to listen to. You know, Caleb said that the work here is believing. The work in this series is to believe. Once you hear your shepherd's voice, do you believe it enough to follow him? To follow him into the wilderness, to follow him into a dark and very scary place. Do you believe him enough to do that? <clears throat> and this is the most important thing that I have learned so I've been fighting this fight for a good 15 years, right, where God has put me in a position where I am, like, pressed up against this thing. And I would love to tell you that Jesus has healed me of this and just lifted this insecurity away from me. And in fact, when I started this teaching, I'm like, I can't do this teaching because I haven't figured this out yet. Hmm, I'm not healed. Like, somehow we heal ourselves. Another one of my things. Um, but... But I was assured, no, actually, you have figured it out. Jesus doesn't always just take these things away from us. But he does walk with us in them. And he does walk alongside us. And he does lead us. Um, but it requires us spending time with him. For me, it's daily. I can go maybe two days without it. But once I get to day three, I feel it. I start doing this again. And I need to sit with my shepherd. And I mean really sit and listen. I don't mean just read through something and check it off. I mean sit and be willing to be very, very present, be willing to cry. That's usually how I know I'm in God's presence. I start crying. I'm like, okay, it's been a while. Yep. Um, you can't store it up like the manna in the wilderness. He could have given them a week's worth of food, um, or a month's worth of food, but he didn't. Gave it to him every morning, right? And so I think for most of us, it requires us going to him every day. For me, it's in the morning. For some people, I know people for, that it's multiple times a day. That's what the daily office is, right? It's like little readings that you can do throughout the day. We need that, right? Because the world is over here, the enemy's over here, and it's very loud, it's like a toddler throwing a tantrum. Pay attention to me, pay attention to me, and you can't ignore it, right? But you can balance it with the words that your shepherd has for you. So I do have a video, and um, if the video works, will the video work right now? Ah, wait, can you pause it for a second? Okay, I didn't, I, I wasn't sure it was going to work. So I was just like, <laughs> wow. Um, so this is an, um, an experiment um, with real sheep, right? So most of us don't really know what real sheep are like. 
Um, so this idea that sheep know their master's voice is actually a thing, right? Um, and so this is an experiment that someone conducted to see if sheep really know their shepherd's voice. And so the, you can tell that the, the people that are calling the sheep, they're actually using the same words as the shepherd. Um, but pay attention to when the sheep respond. Like, watch the sheep, right? Pay attention to the sheep um, when they respond and how they respond to the shepherd. Okay, play. One more time. quickly, right, you may have noticed some of the sheep like lifted their head as soon as the shepherd started calling them. And they didn't just saunter over to him, did they? They ran. They ran. That's our response to our shepherd. When we know our shepherd's voice, as soon as we hear it, we run to him. Because that's where we're safe. That's where our security comes from being in the presence of our shepherd who loves us and keeps us safe. So, we are um, we're going to have communion here in a minute. So we're going to have plenty of time to sit quietly and think about things. Um, so our invitation is to boldly ask Jesus the question you're afraid to ask. For me, am I smart enough? And then, where are you looking for the answer? Who are you asking? Are you asking Jesus or are you asking your spouse? Or are you asking, hmm, the people on Snapchat or Instagram? All these people who are following you. Are you looking to see how they respond to your post, see if you are smart enough or funny enough or clever enough. And listen to your shepherd. And this, this is the work, right? The work is to believe and let Jesus restore your soul. You know, the psalm says he restores my soul because we need to have our soul restored. All of us.
all the time, every day. We need to have our soul restored. And he loves to do it. He's just so anxious and happy and eager to do that. So let him do that.